I encourage you to embrace this mindset of Jesus in your prayers that sees down the centuries, looks out into the future, and encompasses it all with your love. Welcome to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. This is episode 117. Today we're going to talk about 22 ways to pray with the mindset of Jesus in 2022. You're listening to The Bible Speaks to You podcast. I'm James Early, your host, and this is the place to be to rediscover the original Christianity of Jesus. Each week, we talk about how Jesus wanted us to think and act and pray and live our daily lives. And we dig down into the mindset of Jesus to discover how we can think and act like he did. The goal is to experience more of Jesus' promise that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey there, and welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast, and Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. I'm so grateful you're here listening, and I really appreciate you being here as always. I hope you've had a wonderful holiday season and are ready for the new adventure that God has given us with this new year of 2022. This is a time, I think, when it's normal to have high hopes and expectations for what will happen in the new year. But, you know, based on the way things have gone the last 24 months, There's a lot of uncertainty. There's no way to know how things will turn out. So I just want to encourage you to trust in and seek God's guidance and take one step at a time. One of the reasons I do this podcast is to encourage you, as well as myself, to live and think and pray the way Jesus did, to follow his example and to embrace his mindset. So to give us some framework for this, we're going to talk in this week's episode about 22 ways to pray with the mindset of Jesus in the year 2022. Then each week we'll focus on one of them in our prayers and strive to live that particular idea that week in our daily lives. There are so many more than 22 aspects of Jesus's mindset that we could talk about, but these are the ones I've selected for us to focus on for the first 22 weeks of the new year. If you're a regular listener to the Bible Speaks to You podcast, you've heard me mention many of these, some of them quite often. There's not really any new material here. What is new is the fact that we'll all be praying about these things together. We should never underestimate the power of collective prayer focused on a specific idea or topic. The book of Acts reports that after Jesus ascended, the disciples all met together and were constantly united in prayer. That's Acts 1.14. They had this custom of getting together in the upper room and praying together, being together, having fellowship with one another, and that's really the state of mind they were in 
on the day of Pentecost when they were all in one place. That's when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they went out to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, we may not all be in one place geographically, but we can all be in the same place spiritually. We can unite in our prayers to pray with the mind of Christ. So are you ready? Here are 22 aspects of Jesus' mindset that I hope can help us pray more like Jesus did, and as a result, think and act and live more like Jesus did. Here we go. Number one. This is from Matthew 4.17. Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've probably heard me talk about this a whole lot on the podcast, but I have a question for you. How often do you start your prayers with bearing witness to the fact that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? This is the very first thing Jesus preached in his public ministry, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the primary focus of what he taught and what he instructed his disciples to teach and preach. Let's consider prayerfully what it means for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand, right here, right now. Just because you can't perceive it with the five material senses doesn't mean it's not here. Will you trust what your eyeballs tell you? Or will you trust what Jesus says? Our prayers don't bring the kingdom of heaven. They don't make it come. Our prayers just open our eyes to see what's already here spiritually. When you're praying about something, ask yourself, what is going on right now in the kingdom of heaven? Ask God to reveal more of that to you. There's no sickness, sin, pain, suffering, or death in heaven. Pray to see that more clearly here and now. Number two. This is from John 5. Verses 19 and 30. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son, referring to himself, can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I can do nothing on my own. This is Jesus talking. Jesus is saying he can't do anything by himself. Everything he does, He's dependent completely on the Father. That's an amazing aspect of Jesus' mindset. And that's something that you and I can practice as well. This is really the ultimate prayer of humility. How long does it take you and me to get to the point in our prayers when we realize we cannot solve the problem without God's help, inspiration, or direction? Think about it. I mean, really, how often do we roll up our sleeves with determination and ask God to bless what we're doing? We just jump in trying to solve the problem. All with the best intentions, probably. But when you're praying, pray with the humility of Jesus before you even try to do something, before you even get started on a project or looking for a solution to a problem or praying for a healing. Let this prayer lay the groundwork for what is done. Then you'll be able to say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4.13. And 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's 2 Corinthians 12.10. And the other part of this prayer is, what can you see the Father doing? Then you'll be able to act in the same way. Number three, Jesus was moved with compassion. This is from Mark 6.34. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. What motivated Jesus' approach to how he dealt with the multitudes of people who came to see and hear him and ask for healing? It was compassion. I think Jesus must have had that compassion in his heart before he saw the people who came. How do you respond to people in need? How do you respond to multitudes of people in need? And especially if they're different from you. Do you turn away from them, or do you see them and want to help them? When you're praying, this is a wonderful attitude to cultivate the prayer of compassion. Bring that to your prayer before you start your day, so that everyone you see that day, under whatever circumstances, you will have that Christly compassion, and that will bring healing to every situation and every person you meet that day. Number four is from John twelve forty nine and 50. Jesus said, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. How often can we make that same claim? I don't speak on my own authority. Wow, this is Jesus saying this. He only said what God told him to say. He never spoke on his own behalf. He never told his own opinions or shared his own perspective. He always said and taught what God told him to. This is a prayer that is powerful. And we need to pray again before the day starts, for this mindset that we can hear God speaking to us and we'll just say what God tells us to. Number five has to do with when Jesus prayed. Sometimes Jesus got up early to pray and sometimes he prayed all night. You can find that in Mark one thirty-five and Luke 6.12. I think sometimes Jesus was praying proactively. I think he discerned the needs ahead of time, and he was praying to be ready for the opportunities that were going to present themselves. He prayed until he found a sense of peace. And that's what we need to do, even if it takes all night. I know sometimes I've stayed up most of the night praying, or sometimes I've gotten up in the middle of the night and prayed because I just felt a need. I didn't always know what it was. But the more I prayed, the more I discerned something that God wanted to share with me. It gave me a sense of peace and I could go back to bed. Number six, Jesus spoke in parables. This is in Matthew, well, throughout the Bible, really, but specifically I'm going to mention this place in Matthew 13, verses 10, 11, and 13. His disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? 
He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Many of the people Jesus spoke with could not grasp the deeper spiritual essence of things that he wanted to get at. Even when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus said the same thing to him. I'm telling you of earthly things and you don't believe me. What if I told you spiritual things? You wouldn't be able to comprehend those either. So Jesus spoke in language of the people. He spoke in simple metaphors and parables so that people could get an essence of the principle that he was talking about. People understood about sheep and goats and seeds sprouting and weeds in the wheat and losing a piece of silver and finding a pearl of great price. It was a way to help their thought start to think about things in a more spiritual way. And that's why he spoke in parables, because he was speaking their language. And that's a mindset that we need to embrace. So, again, when you're preparing for your day, Pray for God to show you how to speak in a way that someone can hear. You can make up your own parables about computers or traffic lights or whatever it might be to help bring out a point that illustrates what the kingdom of heaven is like. Number seven, Jesus came to do God's will. This is throughout the Gospels, the verse that I've brought out here is from John 6:38. He says, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Here again, this is something really amazing for Jesus to say. He did not come with his own agenda. Can you and I say that? I know I have my agenda all the time. I mean, I pray a lot and I ask God what to do and I strive to be obedient and listen. And sometimes I do a pretty good job at that. And other times, honestly, I am just trying to get what I want. And I think we all struggle with that to some degree. This is an aspect of Jesus' mindset to always do the Father's will. The only time he really struggled with it was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew he was about to be crucified and was thinking if there was any possible way to get out of it, that would be fine with him. But each time he had that thought, he resigned his will to God's will. So it's not just about using your human will to do what God wants you to. It's about setting aside your human will, and then all that's left is God's will. That's all that can motivate you is to do what God wants you to, and you will hear his voice, and you'll know exactly what to do, and it will be a thing of rejoicing. When you obey the will of God, it's a beautiful thing, and Jesus knew that, and it's a beautiful sense of mindset we can bring to our prayers. Number eight, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's in John eight twelve. Jesus knew that he was the light of the world. He knew he had a message of crucial importance for the salvation of all mankind. He was not uncertain. For me, this means that we need to be certain 
that Jesus is the light of the world. And we'll talk in just a minute about how he called us the light of the world and the implications of that. But that mindset, that conscious mindfulness that this infinite light going in every direction and present everywhere is a powerful, powerful mindset to realize that light cannot be overcome by the darkness. The light always extinguishes the darkness, and Jesus knew that. When we embrace that mindset, we are imbued with that same power that Jesus had, which comes directly from God. Number nine, Jesus was willing and able to heal. He knew he could heal people, and he always healed whenever someone asked him. Specifically, I want to look at the time Jesus healed a man with leprosy. This is in Matthew 8, starting with verse 2. A man with leprosy approached him, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. I love this story because it brings out the fact that not only was Jesus willing to heal, he knew he could heal. When we embrace this mindset in our prayers to be willing to help those who ask us for help and knowing that God has given us the ability to help them, whether it's healing or whatever it is, when God brings someone to you, He's also giving you the ability to help them. As you're praying to have this aspect of Jesus' mindset, pray for the willingness and the awareness that you can help and bring healing to others. Of course, it's always God who does the healing, but sometimes you may be the instrument of that healing. You may be the window that the sunlight comes through. It's important for us to acknowledge and admit that to ourselves. Number 10. Sometimes in healing, Jesus rebuked things, whether it was a sickness or disease or a storm, but he did not rebuke the person. And in the case of the storm, he did not rebuke the water. He rebuked the agitation. He rebuked the cause. He rebuked the problem. Think of when Jesus went into Peter's house. This is in Luke 8, 38 and 39. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. There was another time Jesus was talking to someone who was possessed with an evil spirit, and Jesus rebuked not the person, but the evil spirit, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. That's Mark 1, 25 and 26. And then in Mark 4, 39 is the time when Jesus was in the middle of a storm out in the sea, and he, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Think of the kind of mindset that can discern that the problem is not the person, but the disease or the mental or physical agitation that needs to be rebuked. 
Think of what kind of mindset has that sense of authority. Jesus knew that he had the power to do that. When you and I have that same mindset that we know God has empowered us with the same ability and authority of prayer, we can pray with more assurance and we can pray the prayer of rebuke. Number 11. When Jesus had finished his Sermon on the Mount, everyone was amazed because he spoke and taught with such authority. Why could Jesus speak with such authority? Well, it's partly because of some of the things that we've already talked about. He knew he was the light of the world. He listened to what God told him. He only said what God told him to say. So he was really not speaking with his authority. He was speaking with God's authority. But he didn't just stand over in the corner and let God do it all by himself. That's a funny way to put it. But he embraced and engaged with God's authority, God's power, God's presence. He embraced this awareness of what God saw and what God was doing, and that empowered him. So, how can you and I have that same sense of authority to teach and preach and heal with as Jesus did? Well, it's about putting into practice the awareness that you have of your relationship to God and what God is doing. It's not based on yourself. When you pray along these lines and you realize that none of your abilities are based on yourself, when you embrace this aspect of Jesus' mindset in your own prayers, that all your authority comes from what you see the Father do, from your relationship with the Father, you'll be amazed at that sense of authority that you bring to everything you deal with. Number 12, Jesus ate with sinners and outcasts. What kind of a mindset would do that? What kind of a mindset would not do that? Why do you and I not do that more often? We want to be with the people that like us. We want to be with the people that are pleasant to be with. But Jesus was not here on earth just to have a good time and hang out with socially acceptable people. He came to help people who needed help. This is what it says in Mark chapter 2, 15 through 17. He was dining in Levi's house. That's another name for Matthew. And there were many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. Well, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? They were appalled. But when Jesus heard about that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What a mindset Jesus had to be of help to the people who need it. Sometimes we don't want to be bothered with the people that have the problems. We just want to be around our friends. But Jesus came to help the people that needed help the most. That doesn't mean that you have to go out and save every homeless person on the street. But it means open your heart to who you can help in your community, in your neighborhood, In your sphere of influence, Jesus included those 
whom society had cast out. That can mean different things to different people. That's between you and God, who that means for you. But be open to help those who have need of help. You can pray for God to open your eyes to be able to know who actually needs help and how you can help them. Number 13. Jesus knew his disciples could understand his message and that they would be able to preach it to others and heal like he did. What do you think this reveals about his mindset? He knew his message of salvation could be repeated. He knew it was so valuable that he wanted to share it with others who then could share it with others who then could share it with others on down to the present day, 2,000 years later. He knew that this message was not dependent on him as a person being here physically, walking with his two feet on the earth. He knew it could be preached by others. If God told it to him, he could tell it to others, and they could get it directly from God as well, and then share it. You and I can embrace this same mindset that We can preach and teach and heal like Jesus did because we can hear exactly what God tells us. And of course, we also have the gospel message recorded in the Bible. And when you have an important message, maybe it's even just something at work, when you have an important task to be done, it doesn't all depend on you. Maybe you need to have some maybe not officially disciples, but some of your employees can. You can teach them to do what needs to be done and trust them to do it. This can apply to so many different areas in our lives. Number 14. Jesus always looked for receptive hearts to share his message with, whether they were Pharisees, social and religious outcasts like we've already talked about, or even foreigners whom Jews were not even supposed to talk to. Think of John 3, 1 through 12, when Nicodemus came to him. He was a Pharisee, but he was receptive. He had a receptive heart. So Jesus shared deep spiritual truths with him about the need to be born again, to be born from above, to have a spiritual perspective on life. Then in John 4, Verses 5 through 42, Jesus spoke with the Samaritan woman who was a social outcast, who was not living the most moral, upright life. And yet Jesus revealed to her deep spiritual insights and actually told her that he was the Messiah. He wasn't supposed to talk to women, let alone a Samaritan woman who was living a life of sin. And yet that's who Jesus shared some of his deepest spiritual truths with. And then there's the example of the centurion. The Roman centurion comes to Jesus to heal his servant, and Jesus heals him. Even the centurion knew that Jesus wasn't supposed to talk to him and come into his house, and yet Jesus was willing to do that. You can read that story in Matthew 8, 5-13. through 13. Jesus always looked for receptive hearts. It didn't matter who had the receptive heart. Whether it was a saint or a sinner or a foreigner or an outcast, Jesus always went where the receptivity was. Let that mindset be in us as well. 
ask God to show you, reveal to you, to open your eyes to who is receptive, regardless of their background, regardless of their circumstances, who you can share God's love with. Now, here comes one of my favorites, number 15. Jesus did not take the bait of his critics and naysayers. And as an example of this, I'd like you to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Jesus and his disciples are out in the fields, and they picked some heads of grain and ate them. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus didn't take their bait. He didn't get defensive. He rebuked them with scripture. He said, haven't you even read of what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, they went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with them. That was not lawful for anyone but the priests to eat. That's just a tiny example of how he interacted with his critics. He was never taken off guard. He never tried to defend himself, really. He quoted scripture to them, or he rebuked their hypocrisy. And sometimes he asked a question that forced them to come face to face with their own sins. And then there's the time when he was asked if the Jews should pay tribute to Caesar to pay the tax. If he said, well, we should pay the tax, that would be, in effect, acknowledging that Caesar was a god and that they were submitting to his authority. But if you did as the Jews wished they could do and not pay the tax, then you would be fighting against the state and you'd get in trouble with the Roman authorities. They thought they had Jesus between a rock and a hard place. But Jesus said, show me the coin. And he said, who's inscription is on there. Well, it was Caesar's, of course. And he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. He went way beyond their narrow view of what was going on. He didn't fall for their accusations and their criticism. And that's a wonderful mindset for us to embrace. Don't be impressed. Don't take things personally when somebody criticizes you when you're standing for Christ. Be open if God rebukes you. Be open if God corrects you. And maybe the Spirit of God is talking through someone else, but maybe not. So have that spirit of discernment, but don't take the bait of critics and naysayers. Number 16. Jesus knew that God always heard his prayers. This is from the story of Jesus going to raise Lazarus. John eleven forty one and 42, he thanked God ahead of time, and he knew that God always heard his prayers. What a simple and yet profound attitude to have that we absolutely have confidence that God hears our prayers and will answer them, and we can thank God ahead of time before we even see the prayers answered. What does that say about Jesus' mindset? He knew his relationship with God. He knew God loved him so much. And he could see what God was doing, as we've already talked about, that he knew it was a foregone conclusion that God would hear his prayers. And he knew that he was only praying for things that were God's will. How many times do we pray for things that may not be God's will? Well, 
we may not have that same assurance that God will hear that prayer and answer it the way we want him to. So the more we get ourselves in line with God's will, we can trust that God always hears our prayers. That's a mindset that Jesus had, and he wants us to follow his example. Number 17. Jesus says something in John 6:48 that I just love. He says, I am the bread of life. He knew he was the bread of life. Just as I mentioned earlier, he knew he was the light of the world. Jesus knows he's the bread of life. He says, John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus also knew that he was the Messiah. When Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, he says in John 4.26, I am the Messiah. That's something that we can bear witness to, that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus is the Messiah. And I think if we embrace that mindset of who Jesus is, it also helps us discern who we are. What is our role in the body of Christ? What is it that God wants us to do? What is our God-given purpose? We can know that. We don't need to have the doubts and uncertainties about, oh, what is my purpose in life? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Well, the closer you are to God, when you embrace this mindset of Jesus, you will know what your purpose is. Number 18. This is a really important one. Well, they're all important, but I think this gives a different flavor that we don't always think about. Jesus does not rely on the testimony of men to validate or declare who he is. In John 5, 34, he says, I do not receive testimony from man. He acknowledges that John the Baptist bore witness to the fact that he was the Messiah, but he said, that's the testimony of man. He said, I have a higher witness than that. And it was basically the fact that God had declared when he was baptized, this is my beloved son. But he said, there's another witness that's valid, and that's the fact that I am doing the works that were prophesied of the Messiah in the Old Testament. I'm healing the sick, and I'm preaching the gospel, and I'm opening the eyes of the blind. He knew he was fulfilling those prophecies. It was the messianic prophecies being fulfilled that bore witness to who he was. And think of the time when Jesus had asked his disciples who he was. He first asked, who do people say I am? They reported there were all kinds of answers. Then he said, well, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, this is in Matthew 16, verses 16 and 17. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Well, there is a witness of man, and Jesus doesn't accept that. But Jesus said something interesting here because he discerned what was going on in Peter's heart. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, not by any person, but by my Father in heaven. That's the way Jesus knew he was the Messiah, and that's the way you and I know Jesus is the Messiah. It's not because of some famous preacher. It's not because of some neighborhood preacher. It's not because of some podcast. It's not because of some TV evangelist telling you that Jesus is the Messiah. The only true way that you can discern and become aware of the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is when it's revealed to you 
by God himself. That is so important because Jesus doesn't want us to believe in him because of what somebody else says, although that's a kind of a funny way to put that because obviously we're supposed to go out and tell everybody, but I guess what I'm trying to say is he doesn't want us to believe because someone has coerced us into believing. He doesn't want us to do a sales job on someone so they'll be manipulated into believing or frightened into believing in Jesus. He wants it to be a revelation from the Father. We can share the ideas, we can share the scriptures, we can share the stories of Jesus, but it's God who reveals it to someone. I think that's so beautiful that Jesus is trusting his Father in heaven to reveal to people who he is. He doesn't want us to be a bunch of used car salesmen trying to convince people to believe in him. He wants people to have that message directly from his Father. I just think that's beautiful. So how does that apply to you and me? Well, we have to have that same mindset that trusts God to reveal the truth to someone's heart. We can present the ideas, we can present the stories, as I said, we can tell people about Jesus, but we can trust God to reveal it to them in their own hearts. It takes that personal sense of responsibility away from us. We still need to do what Jesus wants us to do in sharing the gospel and preaching to every creature in the world, as he tells us, but God is responsible for converting someone's heart. Number 19, Jesus saw the inherent goodness of people. He knew that they struggled with sin, but he saw beyond that. He didn't judge after the appearance of things. He said in Matthew 5, 13 and 14, in the Sermon on the Mount, talking to a crowd full of people that some churches today would call a bunch of miserable sinners. But what did Jesus call them? He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He said that to everyone there, regardless of how saintly or how much of a sinner they were. He saw their inherent goodness. He focused on that. He made them feel worthy in God's eyes. He knew that they had sinned. He knew that they had messed up in their lives to varying degrees. But he he went past that. He saw something more. He also loved little children. He saw their purity and innocence, whereas some churches today say, oh, you're born in sin, you're this miserable sinner, totally depraved. But Jesus said in Matthew 19, 14, suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. What are you seeing? Are you seeing a bunch of miserable sinners? Or are you seeing the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and little children who represent what the kingdom of heaven is like? Those little kids weren't any different from little kids today. Oh, there may be some more influences of the world on some of the kids today. But Jesus would see past all that. Can you? Yes, you can. You can see people with the eyes the mindset of Jesus, and see their original inherent goodness as a child of God, and love that, work with that, value that, nurture that. And that will help them get over whatever sins or problems they have. Number 20. Jesus prayed for his disciples. 
Now that seems pretty obvious. We have the mindset to pray for our friends, our family, the people we're trying to help. But think of the way Jesus prayed for his disciples. It was such a deep, earnest, earnest prayer. I think we touch on that often, probably more often than we may realize. We approach that sense of deep, earnest prayer that Jesus had, but we can always do a little better. This is what it says in John 17, verses 20 and 21. And this was just before he was about to be crucified. He's praying to God and he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. He's praying for Christian unity here. He's praying for something so much more than just the immediate context of his disciples struggling with what's about to happen. He's praying for this grand view of what will take place centuries into the future. How far-reaching are your prayers? I encourage you to embrace this mindset of Jesus in your prayers that sees down the centuries, looks out into the future, and encompasses it all with your love and your prayers for all mankind. I know we've got enough to pray for with just what's going on in the world today, but Jesus prayed for you and me 2,000 years ago, and he prayed for everyone that's coming after us 2,000 years from now. He's praying for everyone. Can we do that? Yes, we can. We need to be reminded of that. Number 21. Jesus knew that he would be victorious over the cross, over death, and the grave. Isn't this remarkable? He knew that he was going to conquer death and sin. He said in John 16, 22, talking to his disciples just before he was about to be crucified, he said, So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. The joy was having seen the risen Christ. No one could take that away from them. They thought Jesus had been taken away by the crucifixion, and they were sad. Their joy was not full yet, because they hadn't seen Jesus' final victory. But when they saw Jesus after the crucifixion, when just a few days before they had seen him nailed to a cross, dead and buried in a tomb, they were different people. Are you a different person when you interact with the risen Christ? Can you and I have that same sense of assurance that we will be victorious over whatever challenges come to us? Jesus didn't trust in his own abilities to overcome death and walk out of the grave. He knew it was his Father in heaven who was delivering him. And we can have that same awareness or mindset that Jesus did with whatever challenges we face. And number 22, the final one, Jesus promised his disciples they would receive the Holy Spirit after he was gone, and he trusted them to spread his message to the whole world. We've kind of talked about this a little bit before, but what kind of mindset would be aware of the deep needs of his disciples, what they would need 
to continue his message. He was so aware of what they needed that he was going to ask the Father, and the Father would send them the Holy Spirit after he was gone because he knew they would need guidance. And he trusted them to spread his message to the whole world. What kind of mindset would do that? This is so crucial here in relationship to what the Holy Spirit does or the Comforter. In John fourteen sixteen, Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another Comforter that he may abide with you forever. Some translations call it the Helper or the Advocate. The actual Greek word is paraklete, which is a legal term. It means a defense attorney. Think of Jesus sending us a defense attorney to guide us, to defend us, to protect us. This is fulfilled in Acts 1, verse 8. Just before Jesus ascends, he says to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria. Oh my goodness, even Samaria? Wait, he's not done yet. And to the ends of the earth. And that mindset, passed along to his disciples, is still blessing you and me today. Here we are, reading the Bible, following Jesus, trying the best we can to live our lives the way he wants us to. Here we are, 2,000 years later, still following Jesus and hopefully helping others to do the same. When you embrace that sense of the Holy Spirit as a gift from Jesus that empowers you, that guards you and guides you and protects you, tells you what to say, tells you what to do, tells you what not to do and what not to say and where not to go, you're accepting the gift that Jesus has asked God to send to us. Again, I'll ask, what mindset would trust us to do that? He saw our value. He knew that we could do it. He knew that everyone along the path could do it. Some have done it better than others throughout history, and yet the word has gone forth and continues to go forth today more than perhaps ever before in the history of the world. So that's it for the 22 ways that we can pray with the mindset of Jesus in 2022. I hope these ideas have been helpful. And so what we're going to do for this coming week is to take that very first one and all week long, think about this in all your prayers. Look through that lens. Look from that perspective. See with the eyes of Jesus that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thank you so much for listening today. Again, I want to wish you a happy new year, and I hope you'll join with me in this prayer project for the next 22 weeks. You can find a list of all these on the show notes page for today, which is thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 117. This is episode 117. There'll be a PDF that you can download and print out, put it in your purse, put it on the refrigerator, put it on your desk, whatever works for you. And please share this with your friends. Print out a second copy to give to someone and encourage them to join with us in this prayer. There is so much power in collective prayer, and I really appreciate you taking part in this. 
All the scriptural references that I mentioned today will be available on the show notes page for today's episode. You can find it at thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 117. This is episode 117. If you're new to the Bible Speaks to You podcast and haven't subscribed yet, I encourage you to do so. Go to the website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, click on the subscribe tab in the menu bar, fill out your name and email, and you're all set. That way you'll be on my email notification list and you'll never miss an episode. Of course, you can subscribe on any of the podcast apps on your phone or your device. And I would really appreciate it if you're new to the podcast to Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Let people know how this has been helpful to you. And this helps others find the Bible Speaks to You podcast. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, I would love to hear from you. Again, go to the website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, and click on the contact tab in the menu bar. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. I would love to hear from you. That's it for today. Thanks again so much for listening. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Have a great week. Have a happy new year. We'll see you next time. God bless.